All right, if you take your Bibles and turn to Proverbs chapter 3, Proverbs chapter 3, God willing, we'll be expounding verses 3 and 4 tonight. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 3 and 4. In our text tonight, Solomon is going to be giving us some wisdom about the attitude of our hearts. The attitude of our hearts. When we think of wisdom a lot of times, we think of the actions that we take. <clears throat> Tonight, we're going to be looking at the attitudes that we have within us. Wisdom is not simply godly words that we remember and then quote back to somebody at the right time. Wisdom is most importantly a godly attitude that we embrace as a result of us believing those godly words. In verse 3, Solomon tells us, if you look now, Let not mercy and truth forsake thee. Let not mercy and truth forsake thee. When we see the word mercy, I think automatically, probably in most of our minds, a, a definition populates into our mind that we think of mercy because we've heard We've heard it, people defining things certain ways, and sometimes those definitions stick with us, and it really cuts short how our understanding should be. For example, someone would say grace is when we get what we uh, uh, don't deserve, and mercy is when we don't get what we do deserve. Y'all ever heard that defined that way? And in a sense, that's true, uh, but that's a very narrow, uh, limited way of understanding it. And so I believe that when we think of the word mercy, most of us probably automatically think of it as us not receiving some punishment that we justly deserve. But the idea behind the Hebrew word here that's translated mercy is not primarily that of withholding punishment, but that of administering kindness. Not that of withholding punishment, but that of administering kindness. For example, y'all know the story of Abraham. When he was soldiering in the promised land before you know it belonged to the Jews, and his wife Sarah was a beautiful woman, and so he was afraid that someone was going to see his pretty wife and say, well, we want her to be our wife, let's kill him, and we'll take her to be our wife. So what did Abraham tell Sarah to do he's yeah say tell him you're my sister that way I'll be safe I mean if they steal her at least he'll still be alive you know and so uh that's what he said but let me read to you that account it's in Genesis chapter 20 verse 13 I'm just going to read a portion of that verse to you Abraham said this he's telling Sarah this is thy kindness which thou shalt show unto me at every place whither we shall come say of me he is my brother so when Abraham told Sarah now here's the kindness that you'll do for me wherever we go tell him you're my brother that word kindness that Hebrew word translated kindness there is the same Hebrew word translated mercy here in Proverbs chapter 3 tonight so it gives us an idea It's not so much God withholding punishment, but it is God administering kindness. So Abraham asked Sarah to show him this kindness. 
And a, and a person, of course, could show kindness to someone by withholding punishment. If, if you know, uh, I was a judge and Brother Doug uh, deserved punishment, but I wanted to be kind to him and relieve him of a certain punishment, then that kindness would be administered in the sense of mercy, me withholding something to him. So you can see how mercy and kindness go hand in hand, right? But we, we don't want to mistake what this word mercy is here tonight, or I believe we'll misunderstand what Solomon is trying to say. Uh, so Solomon is telling us that we need to uh, not let kindness forsake us, to not let kindness forsake us. Remember, kindness is an attitude of our heart. You can't truly do kind things without having kind thoughts in your heart toward your neighbor, right? Uh, I mean, I could do something that in effect is kind, but if my heart's not in it, it'd be like the Apostle Paul said, if I were to give my whole body to be burned and have not charity or love, it profits me nothing. It's, it's just empty deeds. So Solomon is reminding us tonight that kindness can forsake us. It has the possibility, in fact, because of our carnal nature, kindness has the tendency to forsake us. And he says, don't let it forsake us. Last week, my mom and dad were over my home. By the way, my mother loves it when I use her as a sermon illustration. She just, the joy comes over her face when she knows when I use her as a sermon illustration. And she's thinking, dear God, help him not to embarrass me. I know what she's thinking. But my, my mom and dad were visiting at her home last week. And, and as they were about to leave, her and Tammy were talking. They were standing near the door. And we heard this. It sounded like like a piece of glass dropping or something or a, or a small stone or pebble dropping and on my tile floor. And it went like that. And we're like, what in the world was that? And she's looking around. We're looking around. And, and she finds this this stone on the on the ground and she says what is that well she looks was well, this uh, a, a stone that come out of her ring well, it was not a diamond that big okay it was just a, a little decorative stone a, a gem gemstone and uh and it fell out of her ring and so immediately she uh put the ring, the stone kind of snapped it back into those prongs you know and then she started thinking, well, what happens if I walk outside and it does it again and I don't hear it this time? And so she just took the ring and the stone off and she held it in her hand for safekeeping. And that's what Solomon is saying that we must do to keep kindness from forsaking us. What was she doing when she held that stone in her hand? She was not letting the gemstone forsake her, you see. And, and, and the word forsake means to get loose, to get loose. And that stone got loose from the prongs. It forsook the prongs. And Solomon is saying, look, kindness can forsake you. You're going to have to hold on to kindness. Now, before we move forward in our study, I want us to consider the nature of kindness and the nature of that gemstone. The gemstone was not a natural formation that had formed on my mother's finger, right? 
It wasn't. Gemstone's not like a fingernail, you know, it just doesn't grow and oh, there it is and you just enjoy it or whatever. A gemstone is not like that. Had it been a fingernail that originated on my mother's finger, then even if it fell off, it would have naturally grown back. It wouldn't have been a big deal. Oh, I broke a nail. Don't worry, it'll grow back. The gemstone did not originate on my mother's hand. It came from a foreign source. A foreign source. And that's why she had to put so much care into making sure that she held on to that gemstone. In the same way, uh, the kindness that Solomon is speaking of here in Proverbs does not originate within us. You can say, well, that's such a kind person. He's not talking about a, a cheery kind of personality. Solomon's not talking about personality at all. And some people are more personable in the sense uh, uh, of kindness as we would understand it. But he's talking about kindness in the sense that he would talk about love. Kindness that is a divine kindness, a godly kindness. He says, don't let that kindness forsake you. Like wisdom and like truth, kindness is something that belongs to God alone. That's it. The first time that we see this Hebrew word used in the Bible, it's when Lot was rescued by the angels from before they destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. Lot told them that, that uh, they showed him the kindness of God. He used the same word here by delivering him out from that destruction. So kindness is an act of love. That's how God delivered Lot out. He did it through love. He loved Lot. And so through the kindness of God, He delivered him out. What is love? Love is an attribute of God. Interestingly, Solomon told us that there's actually a pair of things that we're not to let go of. And you can't overlook this here. He says, let not mercy and what else? truth. There's a combination of God's attributes here that, that he's giving us. And he's saying, don't let the two things forsake you. Don't let mercy. And by the way, don't let truth. That's not what he's saying. He's coupling them together here. He says, don't let mercy and truth forsake you. You see, the reason these are coupled together here, they're joined intricately. You cannot have mercy without having truth. In fact, mercy is begotten by truth, which is an attribute of God. We're going to get into that a little bit deeper here, but we're going to have to understand that Solomon is saying, don't let this pair get away. So how does mercy or kindness and truth go together? How are they coupled together at the hip? The Hebrew word translated truth has the idea of something that is permanent and certain. Truth, here in the Hebrew, is something permanent and something that's certain. And no created thing is permanent and certain, right? Even the sun, we always say, oh, I bet the sun will still come up in the morning. Did you know there's going to come a day when the sun doesn't come up in the morning? The Bible says so in the book of Revelation. 
But even our scientists say so. Even the scientists tell us that the sun is running out of energy and in so many years, it won't come up in the morning. It'll be out. Only God, who created all things, is permanent and certain. He said, I am the Lord, I change not. And that's why the Word of God, right? The truth of God's Word endures forever as God does. God's truth is permanent and certain because God, the God of truth, is permanent and certain. And so in the same way, that's why the mercy of God shall also endure forever because God's mercy is true. That makes sense? God's mercy is true. God's mercy is permanent and certain. Write this down in your margin, you know, Psalm 106, verse 1. Psalm 106, verse 1 says, Praise ye the Lord, O give thanks unto the Lord, for He is good, for His mercy endureth. Anyone know how long? Forever. We know more about the mercy and truth of God, understanding them coupled together. And we know about the mercy of God, how? Through the truth of God. Isn't that right? How do we discover God's mercy? By hearing God's truth. The truth of Jesus Christ told us about the mercy of God that He demonstrated toward us through the cross. And so we know about the mercy of God through the truth of God that's been revealed to us in the Word of God. God's mercy is the truth of God that's revealed to us in the Word of God when it is believed in the heart of man. I'm going to repeat that again. God's mercy is the truth of God that's revealed in the Word of God when it is believed in the heart of man. And the truth of God's merciful kindness towards us is fully expressed to us in the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel is the single revelation of God's love for us. And that single revelation of God's love will produce in us the attitude of kindness toward our fellow man. Kindness toward others that's based on God's kindness toward us. Make sense? Kindness toward others that's based on God's kindness toward us. Godly kindness is kindness toward others. That's based on God's kindness toward us. It is mercy that is based on truth that is based on Jesus. You get that? It is mercy that is based on truth that is based on Jesus. And as my mother let not her gemstone forsake her hands... So Solomon tells us how we can keep mercy and truth from forsaking our hearts. Solomon says, look now in your text. He says, bind them about thy neck. Well, my mother didn't do that, but I bet if it was on a string, maybe she would have. He says, bind, them, bind mercy and truth about your neck. 
for us when we read that, we think, man, how would you do that? How would you bind mercy? I mean, it's 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 a intangible thing, mercy and truth is. I mean, how can you bind it about your neck? But you can't read the Proverbs. It's a spiritual book, right? To read them with the spiritual understanding. And so uh, he's trying to give us an illustration here. So by giving us a physical illustration, we can then comprehend the spiritual truth. When I was a young child, uh, I, like a lot of other children, would walk home from school. You could do that back then. It was kind of neat, Brother Doug. You could just walk home from school. And kids somehow had enough sense to get from one place to the other. I don't know how they did it, but they did it. Boy, kids just grew up quicker back then. But we'd walk home from school each day, and, and sometimes my mom would be out running errands or doing something, and I'd come home, and she didn't want me to be locked out of the house. And to keep me from being locked out of the house, when I came home, my mother would sometimes tie a key about my neck. Because if she put it in my pocket, by the time I get through on the playground, there's no telling where that key would be. But it's kind of hard to leave your head at school, right? So you tie it around the neck, and as long as your head makes it home, you got the key right there. Right? All the way you lose keys if your head slipped off, then the key slips off your neck. But uh, it's hard to lose a key when it's hung around your neck. And, and so it was a good idea if you didn't want to let the key forsake you to bind that key about your neck. And the Hebrew word that's translated neck here, it's kind of neat. It has the idea specifically of that part of the cow that contains the cud that the cow chews on. That part of the cow that contains the cud that the cow chews. And when a cow feeds in the meadow, kids, y'all listen up. This is science here, okay? And we follow the science at Central. Follow the science. When a cow feeds out in the meadow, they lick that grass up off the ground. And they pull it into their mouth and they chew it. And when they, they, they swallow it, it's not completely chewed. I mean, they just gobble that food up like our dog does. You give my dog a bone, he will not chew that bone. He's, it's just done. It's just gone. So we don't give him bones. He's, he's stupid. But, but cows aren't stupid. Cows will eat that grass and just suck that grass right down. And, and, uh, but they have a, they, they have a, uh, uh, a nature to do that. God made them to do it that way. So they feed out in the meadow and they suck that grass right down and that grass passes down their throat into something called a reticulum. A reticulum. But the grass, remember, is not completely chewed up yet. So later they decide they're going to go sit down under a shade tree somewhere. And that reticulum, meanwhile, it's, it's working in there. You know what it does to that grass? It makes a little bell of hay. It balls it up into a ball. The reticulum does. It really does. And then he just sends that right back up their mouth. They go chewing on it again. The second stage of digestion in that cow. Isn't that neat? The reticulum. Maybe one of y'all want to name your next child reticulum. We'll call him Rita for short. Now that was a blessing to you. I know it's kind of gross. But the thing is, 
that cow puts that grass in a safe place so that it'll be ready to be retrieved in idle time to chew on again. You getting that? He doesn't put the grass on top of his head because the wind may blow it off before he gets there. He puts it in that reticulum. He puts it down inside him or her so that when their time comes about, he can cough it back up and chew it again. And that's what we must do with the mercy and truth of Jesus Christ. We must bind it about our necks. We must put the gospel, the truth of the mercy of Jesus in a safe place that we, in our idle time in our minds, may retrieve the kindness that God has shown to us in His Son. To retrieve it with with the exceeding great and precious promises that go along with it. To retrieve the amazing love that God has for us and chew on that glorious truth again and again and again. To ruminate. Solomon said, bind mercy and truth about your neck. You know, I've found that sometimes in the morning when I go to work this morning, I'm on my way to work before I drove out of the driveway. I sat down and I looked over my text uh, on what I'm going to be teaching on Sunday morning. Looked up the definition of some of the words and I memorized those words in my mind. As I'm driving to work, I'm meditating, ruminating, chewing chewing the biblical cud. Oh, it was so wonderful to do that. Then when I get to work, though, Things get a lot more busy. My mind gets off on other things. There's a lot of other distractions. Next thing you know, I find my mind not ruminating on that on something else. And a lot of times I've got to renew that mind and say, Lord, I'm sorry. Help me to get my mind back on spiritual things. Now, there's a time to think about work. But sometimes at work, you can think about stupidity too. You know, you can think about foolish things too, especially if you're around silly people, right? And so you can get your mind off of that, and you've got to, you can say, well, wait a second, you know what happens when your mind gets off of that? That gemstone pops out of the prongs, see? And, and Solomon's saying, don't let that happen. Keep it, in a, keep it in a safe place so you can retrieve it and chew on it again. Look what he says. Look out at the second description. He's not telling you the second thing to do. He's telling you more further what it means to bind it about your neck. He says, write them, that is, write mercy and truth upon the table of thine heart. In our hearts, that's where our innermost thoughts and emotions reside. A cow, again, doesn't put grass on the top of his head. He puts grass down in his belly. He swallows it where it can't get away. And we've got to commit God's Word and the thoughts of Christ to our deepest part of who we are. As that cow puts that down in, the, in that part of his belly, so we don't let the mercy and truth of God sail past our ears, replace the, those wonderful truths casually somewhere, uh, conveniently by us. Now we take those truths into our hearts, believing the truth of Jesus for eternal life. 
And Solomon told us to write, to write, to inscribe God's mercy and truth upon our hearts. Why don't we write something down? My wife, yeah, what is it? That's right. My wife, uh, if I tell her, hey, can you go do this for me uh, today while I'm at work? You know what she'll do? She'll, a lot of times she'll go grab a pen. Go grab a pen and write in her little calendar or something. But that's why we write something down. We write it down so it'll never be forgotten. And even if you do forget it, you can always go back to where you wrote it down at and remind yourself and say, there it is. Thank God we can do that. Thank God even when the thoughts pass out of our head, we can still go to the Bible and and cough it back up, you know, and chew on it some more. Solomon is telling us to write these truths down, not on paper. He's telling to write them down in our hearts. Truth on paper is a note. When my wife writes down in the little calendar, she wrote down a note. Truth on paper is a note. Truth written in the heart is an attitude. See the difference? Truth on paper is a note. Truth on the heart is an attitude. When we write the mercy and truth of God uh, 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 that He's had for us in Jesus on our hearts, you know what we're doing? By faith, we are inscribing on our hearts the way our attitudes are supposed to be. We're saying, God, this is the truth of the mercy you have for me. And I want that to affect how I think about other people. I want it to affect. I want to live by that truth and then show that kindness that you've shown to me toward others. When we write the mercy and truth of Jesus on our hearts, we're letting God's word, we're letting his love for us in the gospel affect how we think about our neighbor. How we think about our God. How we think about ourselves. You know, we leave that out a lot of times. A lot of times we're hard on ourselves. A lot of times we have a hard time forgiving ourselves for past sins, for past wrongs. Well, you know what you need to do toward yourself? Let not mercy and truth forsake you. You know, don't ever hold yourself to a standard that God's not holding you to. You know, don't do it. It's not healthy. But when you let the gospel change the attitude of your heart, and you view people, you view God according to the gospel, you view your neighbor according to the gospel, you view yourself according to the gospel. Someone who loves, people who are loved, you who are loved, and the recipients of God's mercy. It will affect how you think. We let the gospel affect how we think. We, we let it affect how we view life. We, we let it affect how we make decisions. And by doing this, Solomon said, verse 4, So shalt thou find favor. The word favor means grace and kindness. Bind the gospel about your neck and write it on the table of your heart and you will find grace and kindness. But not only grace and kindness, but Solomon said in good understanding, see that? You will find grace, you will find kindness, you will find good understanding. Understanding means the the kind of of person other people understand you to be. Make sense? 
Uh, I know it's not worded quite so smoothly there, but it means you're going to find favor and you're going to find good understanding. That means they're going to understand you to be a certain kind of person. They'll see you in a, they'll understand you in a favorable light. Make sense? If you let the mercy and truth of God, Solomon says, affect how you view life and how you treat other people, then people will begin to understand you to be a good person. They will see you in a good and favorable light. And this good and favorable light, Solomon says, will be, look back in your text now, in the sight of God and man. In the sight of God and man. Not only will man see you in a good and favorable light, God will see you in a good and favorable light. He'll be pleased with your conduct. He'll be pleased with the attitude of your heart. And it gets good when you think about it. God will be pleased with you because God was pleased with His Son whose life and death for you is written on the table of your heart. God was never more pleased with a man than He was pleased with Jesus in his life and death on your behalf. So if the life and death of Christ on your behalf is what's written on the table of your heart, then God's going to be pleased with your heart. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. This is this heart in whom my beloved son is written in whom I am well pleased. Man will be pleased with you also. Because the Bible says there's no law against love. Mercy and kindness, or, or kindness and, and truth, there's no law against that. Now the ungodly man will never be pleased with goodness. These are general terms, but uh, a, a, a worldly man is not going to be pleased with your love for God. He's, he's not going to respect you uh, as, as he should. But, uh, but even a worldly person, even a worldly person, when he sees you doing right, he's going to know it. He's going to know it's right deep down inside. Even Pilate, when he looked at Jesus before he crucified him, said, I found no fault in this man. So when you have idle time, let the mind chew the cud of the crucified Savior. Let your mind read again God's love for you in the gospel message written on the pages of your heart. Let the gospel, let God's mercy and truth not forsake you. Let it change, let it affect how you view others, how you view God, how you view yourself. Remember the mercy and truth of God and let God and others see that mercy and truth in you. God will never be disappointed in the thoughts of Jesus' gospel in you. That's how I started summing up this sermon as I finished up my notes. I'm going to say it again. God will never be disappointed in the thoughts of Jesus in you. God will never be disappointed in the work of Jesus' gospel by you. The mercy and truth of God. Bind them. Write them. Think them, live them. With that, we'll go ahead and close with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the wonderful mercy, the wonderful kindness 
that you've shown to us in Jesus Christ. Thank you that your mercy is true. It's sure, steadfast. It's eternal and dependable. Thank you, Father God, that it will never change. And I pray that that wonderful mercy and truth, more precious than any gemstone, Father, will be written on the tables of our hearts, will be forever bound about our neck with chains of grace, unbreakable links, dear Father, by your Holy Spirit. And let it, Father God, I pray, renew our mind, the right spirit in us. And Father calls us to view everyone according to that mercy and truth that you've shown us. We ask it in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen.